Hello and welcome to the third season of Accommodation Matters. I'm Darren Ellis, Higher Education Engagement Director at Unite Students, and today we'll be looking at the expectations versus reality of the latest admission cycle and what it's meant for the academic year ahead. We will also be discussing the return of students to university campuses across the UK. Our first guest is Vanessa Wilson from University Alliance. Welcome, Vanessa. Could I please ask you to introduce yourself? Yes, hello, Darren. Uh, I'm Vanessa Wilson. I'm CEO at University Alliance. We're one of the higher education mission groups representing professional and technical universities in the UK. We're also joined by Wendy Roberts from the University of Warwick. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you, Darren. So I'm Wendy Roberts. I'm Director of Accommodation at the University of Warwick. I head up the operational delivery of circa 7,500 rooms, both on and off campus. And I lead the campus cleaning services team and the student services reception team on the campus. Thank you, Wendy. Robert from the University of Glasgow is a returning friend of the podcast. Welcome back, Robert. Thank you very much, Darren. It's good to be back. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm Robert Garnish, Director of Commercial Services at the University of Glasgow. That's essentially anything which generates income, of course, the largest part of which is student accommodation. And we have somewhere in the region of three and a half thousand beds in Glasgow. Thank you, Robert. Our final guest is Karen Carner from Unite Students. Thank you for joining us, Karen. Hi, Darren. Uh, I'm Karen Carner. I'm the Chief uh, Customer Officer for Unite Students. In my role, I look after the commercial operations, student support and our health and safety organisations. Thank you for having me. It's great to be able to bring you all together after what has been a busy few months. 2021 saw a record-breaking admission cycle with more young people from the UK securing university places than ever before. Vanessa, what has this meant for universities in practical terms? Were they prepared for the outcomes of this cycle? Yes, to a certain degree, they were prepared. I think we'd had, you know, an academic year prior to this one that was disrupted. So um, they were certainly prepared. My members had the advantage of the fact that they do belong to a mission group and we have access to a ministerial higher education task force which was set up in the wake of the A-level crisis. So we got very much intel around, you know, in terms of recruitment and we got data from UCAS, which I'm sure most, uh, if not every university was getting. So we had that kind of line through uh, around the numbers. Certainly, we knew and were seeing record demand for certain courses, particularly for my members around healthcare, so medicine, nursing, midwifery, etc. In terms of the numbers, they already have a limiting factor in that they are placement based. So you are can only offer a certain number. So we didn't over recruit certainly in those areas. And so for students going to Alliance universities, there wouldn't be uh, an issue around over recruitment. They should get their places in accommodation if that's being offered. And certainly the experience on campus should be as was pre-COVID. Lovely, thank you. And and you mentioned, of course, that UCAS do provide excellent data on undergraduate admissions, and I'm sure we'll all look forward to reading the end of cycle reports to you later this year, but it's more difficult to understand the sort of postgraduate picture. Are you able to share anything that your members are seeing from uh, the point of view of postgraduates? Yes, I am. Uh, And certainly allied to that, we saw really healthy growth in international numbers, but certainly also in, in the postgraduate numbers as well. Coming out of a COVID crisis certainly has got people to focus on the sort of labour market. I mean, we're seeing now, obviously, that trend reversing uh, in terms of the sort of vacancies. But certainly we did see a, you know, a, a healthy appetite for postgraduate. Thank you. Robert, um, I'm wondering, how has the University of Glasgow responded to meet the needs of this expanded cohort? Have, have resources such as staff, accommodation 
and, and student services support been stretched? So, yes, it's been an exceptionally busy period. I, I think a record-breaking cycle like we've seen, you know, that alone would have been a challenge. But to come on the back of what's been an exceptionally busy and challenging year with, with the COVID pandemic has probably added extra complexity and extra layers into that. But look, you know, more students than expected is a, is a quality problem to have. But we have needed to spend a significant amount of time working to accommodate those students to ensure that we've got bed spaces for them. And particularly for us in Glasgow, that's been about making sure we have got beds for those to whom we have a guarantee in place. So, so principally, that's first year undergraduates and some of the postgraduate cohort. Now, for us, that has meant uh, that we've been working with third parties to, to secure additional beds and to ensure that we can place people ready for, for the start of term. I think in Glasgow as well, it's worth saying there have been some very specific challenges, uh, and I suspect you know some of these will have been seen elsewhere. But you know the legacy of the pandemic has meant that uh, November and January course start dates has meant that that those aren't yet complete in the current cycle, and so of course the students who are a part of that are in some of our bed spaces, and and so they won't be free until as I say November and, and January next year. And then a very particular dynamic for us in, in Glasgow, we're very shortly due to host the COP26 summit. And of course, that has placed significant demands on accommodation space, perhaps not so much in the student residential market, but in the private landlord, the HMO sector. So it's been a, a really busy time, but I think we've come through the peak of that and we're starting to see some settling in as the, as the term has started. Thank you, Robert. I just wanted to come back to you on one point there. You mentioned that beds will become available potentially in November and December. Does that mean you're also anticipating a healthy January intake? So yes, there will be a January intake for some postgraduate students, but also we will be able to provide beds for some students who weren't able to travel or perhaps chose not to travel for the start of term in, in September. You know, international travel in particular was still a challenge in the latter part of the summer. And so there are some students for whom beds were going to be more of a challenge, elected to wait and to start their study online, and then will join us later in the year. Thank you very much. And Wendy, the same question to you. What has the most recent admission cycle meant for you at the University of Warwick? Well, we did exceptionally well at Warwick for recruitment, um, but from an accommodation point of view, we were able to offer all of our students an offer of accommodation. We had an extra 283 beds that we built, and we also took over a conference centre which gave us another 120 beds on campus. So we were very busy during the summer. We were also refurbing um, some existing accommodation stocks. So from a student's point of view, they were offered you know, high quality accommodation on our campus. But then the university also allowed students to not come in the first term and study abroad. So that helped us with our huge recruitment numbers. We are expecting a bumper time now in term two for January. So we will either be able to accommodate them on campus because they've not yet arrived, or we will be looking to talk to partners that are close to the university or in the city because we know that there are rooms empty in the city. So we will be looking at the numbers that are coming in term two to, to support them. Lovely. Thank you. And I just wondered also, I mean, I know it's very early stages, mid-October, to understand this, and I understand postcode analysis will take place later. But are you hearing anything where there's been an increase in commuter students this year? Have you picked anything up on that yet? We are. We're, we're starting to look at all the postcodes and people are starting to say that we think that some of our undergraduates may be just travelling in because we're still blended learning at the moment. So we're expecting that to carry on until December, but then seeing a shift next term. Lovely. So it sounds like January could be potentially busy uh, around the country. 
And Karen, what's been the picture of this admission cycle for Unite students? How has it impacted on overall occupancy? So overall, actually, we're in a pretty good place. So in the vast majority of our cities and properties, we are sold out. In fact, we actually have a significant waiting lists in a number of key cities as well, which sort of shows the strength of, I think, a lot of universities in those cities as well, but also the quality of our stock and locations in there as well. Overall, we're at an aggregate level across the across the nation. We're only slightly behind where we would have expected to be this time. We're about 94% on occupancy levels. So it's actually good to hear sort of Wendy talk about a, a potential second sales cycle from January onwards, because certainly we would actually have the capacity in some of our cities to absorb that demand as well. Uh, so overall, I think we are doing relatively well. Have you noticed anything about international student uh, arrivals so far? Overall, we've had a slight increase in our sort of direct-led sales from international students. There's been a slight change in the mix as well. So we've obviously seen a reduction in uh, EU students coming over. And so this is the first full year of the changes that come out of Brexit as well. What we are still waiting to see is how many of those students do travel over, because obviously travel restrictions still remain in place from some key markets like China, where we've had record number of new undergrad students. So that hasn't really translated yet into additional bookings or additional stays. But we are hopeful as the country continues to sort of emerge out of COVID and travel restrictions get easier, including the changes to the traffic light system. Our hope is that that would encourage students to come over along with universities returning to full lecture-based learning as well. Thank you. Vanessa, back to you, if I may. How do you think this cycle might impact on your university members' recruitment strategy for 22-23 and therefore their accommodation strategy in future. Are there any key trends that your members might be focusing on? Yeah, we certainly do anticipate ever-increasing demand for higher education for three reasons, really. First is recognition of the lifelong benefits of higher education, greater access for disadvantaged groups. So often my members will be welcoming in first and family. And then there's obviously the demographic boom although I should say that's geographic dependent. So it starts now southeast London and moves its way up the country over the next few years. And the reason why that's important for my members is that we do have high proportions of commuter students coming from the from the local area. So that does have an impact. But we're also seeing greater demand for professional and vocational courses, as I like to describe them. So these are courses which would lead directly into a career. So whether or not that's a medicine, um, nursing, engineering, architecture, legal and computer science, but also some of the creative arts. So uh, in particular, animation, graphic design, gaming, uh, where, you know, there's just high demand. And then in terms of accommodation, I think members have kind of anticipated this for some time. There was a lot of building going on in the last few years to meet the demands. And even as a commuter-based university, you will have still have a, a high proportion of students who will want to have that on-campus um, living experience. So, you know, those strategies are in place, those state strategies and those buildings are going up. Lovely. Thank you very much. And, and Robert, how might your university approach 2022-23 from a recruitment point of view and, and also from that provision of, of accommodation? So I think that's one of the key questions as we come out of this cycle and, and looking forward to the next one. And, and I think there are probably still some, some aspects of that that we're, we're not sure on. I think where we've seen increased grades for school leavers, I think we can expect that some of that will continue. I don't think things are going to drop back to, to perhaps where they were before. 
So I guess from our perspective, we're absolutely expecting continued growth and therefore we're, we're planning accordingly. But I think it's about more than just a year-to-year cycle for us. We are in Glasgow some three years now into the delivery of a, of a fairly detailed residential strategy. And that's going to see us continue to invest in our existing portfolio, but also to, to grow that portfolio, as well as that being about accommodating new students and growth in students. It's also a recognition, I think, that we are keen to accommodate a greater percentage of our student body. I think one of the key things as we come out of the, the last couple of years is that we we really do learn some of the lessons from the pandemic. What was key was the sense that students wanted to be together and wanted to be forming communities and, and, and making friendships as they did, even though you know, there was disruption to the, the mode of delivering for their learning. And, and I think we've, we've also seen some learning around the residence life model and, and what that needs to look like. And so as a university, we really feel that there's massive scope to learn from it and, and to ensure that going forward, we've got greater capacity to host more of our students and to give them the, the start that we want them to have as part of their university career. Beyond that, a couple of things that I think will will also come into play. One is we're definitely seeing more of a, a swing back towards returning and later years students wanting to stay in university accommodation. Now, clearly different universities have, have different profiles, different portfolios, but for us in Glasgow, that's not something we've uh, traditionally been able to accommodate and, and there's definitely demand for that. And then I think the second thing is some really interesting trends that I, I think will emerge around desire for shorter, more flexible stays. I think it picks up the point that was made earlier around commuting students and the fact that whilst a proportion of students may wish to commute uh, where they can, it doesn't mean that those same students might not want to to stay over in their university city for two or three days a month or perhaps come for a couple of weeks every now and again to maximise use of resources and perhaps time in the library or or with other students and, and tutors. And so more flexible, shorter stays uh, rather than the more traditional longer tenancies are something that I think we're going to see demand for looking forward. And just coming back to one of those uh, points there, returning later year students, you said you, you anticipate an increased demand for sort of university or purpose-built type accommodation for those students. What's driving that, do you think? Uh, I think it's difficult to say exactly. I, I, I definitely think there is something around some of the challenges that students in that position in recent months and years have experienced in the private let market. Some of the experiences there have perhaps not been as pleasant, have not been as good as they might like them to be. I think there's also something about the attraction of being able to come back under the university umbrella or under a, a provider umbrella and to feel a degree of security and certainty around that, a professionalism that means that there are things that you don't need to worry about, there are things you don't need to concern yourself with when you're going through the final stages of your degree. That's definitely the sense we're picking up. Lovely. Thank you, Robert. And Wendy, same question to you. What what, what are your thoughts on this topic? Well, we're continuing to invest in our accommodation stock on campus. We've got some older buildings that we are looking at. We're fortunate we've got a lot of land at Warwick and our student numbers continue to grow. And I think they will just grow every year as they have done for the past 20 odd years. So um, our stock needs to grow with it. But we're, we're also keen to work with partners as well because our student numbers are so large. One question I wanted to ask about, I mean, University of Warwick recruits many international students. You talked about some arriving in September, more arriving in January. What's your expectation for 22, 23 around international numbers? Do you see that bounce back continuing? 
Yes, um, we've got some very strong departments at Warwick that um, recruit internationally, so the numbers continue to grow. Yes, looking at high quality accommodation and a range for those students because they do want to be on campus, they do want to come and get the education um, and the international experience that Warwick can offer them. So we see those numbers continue to grow. Thank you. And and Karen, I'm aware that Unite Students has put a lot of work over the summer into how to improve the student experience in their buildings. Uh, what has this uh, involved specifically and how might this complement what our university partners are doing? Sure. And I think going into this year, we were very, very conscious that, you know, on the back of COVID, there was a big need, not just for our students to almost reset as they were coming back in, but more importantly for our teams as well, to sort of reorient themselves around the hospitality part of our business, uh, because COVID has certainly disrupted that element given the restrictions we had to put in. So starting in July, we started to bring the teams together in what we called as fresh start events, where we sort of brought them back into really understanding who their customer was going to be for the coming year, what were the students, their background, what were they looking for? We actually ran uh, a survey with the with the students by property to understand what they were looking for, what kind of community they wanted to create, what kind of services they want. So by bringing our teams together uh, in a business that really does want to put uh, students and customers at the heart of our business, it felt like the right thing to do. Coming out of those conversations with our teams, we've been actually then been able to create tailored and bespoke programs for individual properties so that the initiatives that we were doing at a local level were better suited to the students who were actually living there. Um, and ultimately, the, the big thing out of that is creating a better community feel, helping the students integrate better into the cities, into the universities as well. And where possible, we've also been flexible. So as an example, certainly when the, the red, amber, you know, green list was there, we did offer the students an opportunity that if they wanted to come earlier and isolate in our properties, they could do that as well. To your question, how we how this complements, I think the big the, the big complement and big partnership is certainly around student welfare because ultimately they spend a lot of time on campus, they spend a lot of time in their accommodation, and I think this is where I think universities and accommodation providers like us need to work together so that irrespective of where they're based, they're still getting the holistic well-being support that's so required. Thank you, Karen. And over the past uh, six weeks. I'm pleased to say we've seen students return to campus. Has the return to campus been what you expected? Are there any trends emerging from the first weeks of term that have been a surprise to you? Wendy, could I come to you first on this one, please? Um, it's been a really good arrivals period. It's a lot calmer <laughs> this year. Um, it's been really good. The students are out and about. They seem really happy. They're making their friends. There's a lot more social activities going on and the COVID rates are very low. We've got our own test and trace and a vaccination centre on our campus. So we can see immediately who's got symptoms and who's testing positive and the numbers are very, very low on the campus. And we had a snap kind of poll of our students. 88% has had both vaccinations and 99% has had their first. And that was over a survey of over 6,000 students. So that's really positive. And a lot of our staff have also been double vaccinated. So it's a lot more relaxed on campus this year. That really is very encouraging to hear. Robert, what, what have you noticed? Yes, I, I would echo that. It's just been great to have people back on the campus and to, to see people around the campus, to see it busy, to see it coming to life again, to see the catering outlets open for trade and, and being used, to see the sports facilities being well used has been great. As has already been said, um, 
there's been very little in the way of a, a spike or a surge in in, in COVID cases. Um, and we, again, like other uh, universities, Glasgow has, has been supporting vaccination centres. And, and that has gone uh, really, really well. And I think is, again, a, a good sign of the development of partnerships between the likes of, of universities and public health colleagues that have facilitated some of these things to happen. As has been said, to see things settling back to some kind of normality has just been brilliant and has enabled us to, to take a breath and think a little more about what else lies ahead. Fantastic. Thank you, Robert. And uh, Vanessa, the, the same question to you, if I may. Yes, I would, I would say the same. Huge levels of excitement from students and staff actually being back on campus. Um, and again, very, very positive signs of high vaccination rates and also adherence to social distancing. One thing I would say, which is which is noticeable, particularly with the younger, well, the 18-year-old uh, cohort, is that lack of life experience, which is coming through uh, mainly because that generation's been locked in uh, and not had those life experiences that the, uh, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old would have in the build-up to going to university. So they haven't been socialising. Uh, they haven't maybe been doing part-time work. Uh, and so there has been sort of quite a lot of support being put in place to kind of make that transition. But generally speaking, really positive and feeling much more pre-COVID than COVID levels. Brilliant. And it's great to hear that that support's in place. And it's uh, easy to see that that support might be needed uh, for the next academic year as well, given the disruption that young people have faced. So a very encouraging. Thank you. And, and Karen, what have you noticed in what has been your first move-in period uh, as Unite's Chief Customer Officer? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sort of in my fifth month uh, at Unite and, and I come from hotels and and I had been warned that, uh, you know, hotels are relatively, you know, it's a steady stream of customers who come every day and, and the odd peak on a weekend. And I was warned that uh, welcome week and uh, check-in week is like nothing I've ever experienced. So I had braced myself and, and add to that, you know, there was a sense that potentially there would have been two cohorts where, you know, obviously the first years coming in now who want to really get on and start to enjoy the university life and then, the second years who were staying with us, who unfortunately hadn't had that chance last year. So we could have had two big cohorts out there, you know, having a great time. A bit like what Wendy said, actually, we've been really, really pleasantly surprised by just how well the, the, the students have uh, integrated into their accommodation this year. All of our services are available to them, which wasn't the case last year. You know, they've taken full advantage of that. And, and we had prepared for a higher number of welfare issues. That certainly has not been the case this year. And it's felt much more like from what my teams tell me, like it was in 2019. And that said, you know, the, the peak does come a bit in late October and early November as students settle in and they start to feel a bit homesick. And you know, if they haven't found their tribe, uh, then they sort of feel a bit left out. And that's why we need to step in and support them from a welfare and well-being point of view as well. So we are prepared for that. But so far, it's been as normal as uh, I could have expected. Lovely. Thank you, Karen. Um, Unite students recently shared the findings of a survey into empty nester syndrome, uh, the grief that parents feel when their children leave for university for the first time. 98% of first year's parents describe themselves as feeling extreme grief about the departure of their children. And now we've heard on previous uh, episodes of this podcast that Parents are becoming more involved with their children's university decisions and experience. So uh, a question to all of you, if I may, has this been your experience and how has your organisation sought to reassure students and parents who might have anxieties around the new academic year? Wendy, I'd like to come to you first on this one, please. I think we've been experiencing this for many, many years. 
parents have been involved in the student's decision process and calling us and talking to us for as long as I can remember, really. For the teams on the ground, they are always talking to parents, whether that's on an open day, whether that's they've, they've phoned us, they email us, reassuring them about their choice or about their accommodation. So it is a part of what we do all the time. The university takes the parents' views and um, questions very seriously. We view parents as, as as important as the student in the decision-making process and, and try to make all of them as happy and as comfortable as they can be, especially on that arrival process, to make it as smooth as possible, as anxious-free as you possibly can. So it's not, it isn't anything really new, that. Thank you very much. Um, Robert, what, what have you noticed? So I would agree with Wendy. I, I, I think this has been a trend for, for some time. I think perhaps it has had greater prominence this year, and that's perhaps not surprising, you know, given the experiences that people have been through in the last 18 months. I mean, for us this year, I guess two things we did particularly to kind of support and reinforce that. Our welcome video this year for our cohort of students joining our accommodation was very deliberately focused around a parent audience as well as a student audience. We harnessed the voices of, of multiple people from across the university to kind of tell the story about what students could expect, what they would find when they arrived, and, and very deliberately tried to ensure that that messaging was going to be something which could be understood by and, and accessed by parents as well as, as students themselves. And that appears to have gone down well. And then the other one, I think, it, which is, you know, having come from a retail background previously, something I suppose I've always been very familiar with, and, and, and Wendy talked about the kind of listening to and, and engaging with parents. Uh, I and other members of the senior university team spent time on the ground in the residences during the the peak check-in weekend, talking to students, but also talking to parents and and answering their questions to guide them, to be able to offer them insight. And and again, my sense is that that was really well received. Thank you. So certainly from your perspective and Wendy's perspective, not uh, not a new phenomenon, at least. Vanessa, is there anything further you would like to add to Wendy and Robert's comments? Only to say absolutely chime in with what they've said. My members, they have had resources in place for a number of years. So, you know, would have had microsites, webinars for parents and carers, particularly because, you know, we are taking in a lot of students from first generation. So there isn't that level of awareness of how it all works. Uh, And certainly um, from a messaging perspective, obviously, COVID is the new anxiety topic. So really upping the game in terms of reassuring messages. Thank you, Vanessa. And Karen, what have you noticed? I absolutely agree that you know this is a trend that's been continuing. I suspect though that the intensity of that separation has sort of been elevated because through through the whole sort of pandemic and and parents staying at home, I suspect that the bond has become even stronger. So when they leave, that becomes even more difficult. And you know, in the survey, uh, almost twenty percent of parents said they almost had some physical symptoms of grief as well, including panic attacks. I have a ten-year-old, and we sort of witnessed a small version of this this week, where he went on a school trip for the first time ever. And my wife certainly felt part of the ninety-eight percent, though my sense of grief was interspersed with a sense of freedom as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> what I have seen, though, is a lot of our frontline teams are taking in more calls from the parents than they have before. We have produced a guide to help parents, you know, with some expert sort of guidance as well on how to deal with this. But most importantly, the, the reassurance comes from our frontline teams that if they have a question, they can pick up the phone, they can talk to us. Uh, if they can't get hold of their son or daughter, we can do that on their behalf. They entrust their, their sons or daughters with us. We are almost their guardians in that sense. So, you know, it is part and parcel of what we try and do. Thank you. One last group question, uh, if I may. What's one thing 
uh, you're looking forward to within your organisation for the year ahead. Vanessa, I'd like to come to you first, if I may. The one thing I'm looking forward to is uh, we're just about to embark on a sort of strategy development. So our strategy comes to a sort of end next next autumn, and we're beginning the process of developing our next strategy, which is which is actually really exciting uh, to take a hopefully University Alliance to the next level. Fantastic, Wendy. Same question to you, if I may. Yeah, we've had a, a, an interesting year because we've got some uh, brand new accommodation that's been built. We had a Cryfield Village, 823 rooms, and the last phase finished in July. So we've got a new six-bed house product. And of course, we converted a conference centre into a student accommodation. So I'm really interested to see how the students are enjoying that accommodation. And of course, a massive staff party I'm looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. And Robert? Yes, like, like everyone else, uh, some, some return to a degree of normality. Slightly more broadly, for, for me, the University in Glasgow is in the process of expanding into a, a, the former hospital site next to us uh, in the West End of Glasgow. And, and of course, that's all about providing greater capacity, greater provision, greater experience for, for students and staff. Having had the delays of the last couple of years, seeing that come to fruition will be, will be really exciting. And it will really feel like we're making some significant strides and, and, and achieving some of the milestones uh, on the project. Wonderful. Uh, and last but certainly not least, Karen. Uh, yeah, for me, there's probably two things. The first is I'm just really looking forward to going back to delivering a great hospitality experience for our students. You know, something that we weren't able to do given all the restrictions uh, due to COVID. And I think the teams are also looking forward to doing uh, doing that because, you know, in many ways, that is why they joined Unite. Uh, and that's what they love doing. Um, another level, we've got... Uh, you know, two fantastic properties that uh, we're in the final stages of developing, which will open next year, Campbell House in Bristol and Middlesex Street in London. Uh, they will be flagships for the business as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about the, the growth in the business, but also just going back to the basics and delivering outstanding hospitality, world-class customer service. So some very exciting initiatives coming up there. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today, but thank you very much to our guests for your time and for sharing your undoubted expertise. Thank you also to our listeners for joining us uh, once again. Don't forget to follow us on your preferred streaming platform so you get notified about new episodes. You can also follow us on LinkedIn for updates on our latest higher education insights. Join us again next month for a new episode and thank you again for listening.